Thanks for listening to the Dr. Drew Podcast on Podcast One. Here's a shocking fact about probiotics. According to Naveen Jain, billionaire and founder of Viome, the at-home test that measures gut bacteria count, almost no probiotics show up in people's gut analysis. That means 99% of probiotics out there don't colonize your gut as they claim. Still, research shows we need good bacteria to fight the bad ones. So what's the solution? Well, I want to tell you about a single-strain proteolytic probiotic called P3OM. I use it myself. P3OM uses a patented natural process to upgrade a well-researched probiotic strain. Results is a super strain that my friend Wade Lightheart calls, quote, the Navy SEAL probiotics. It kicks the bad bacteria's butts. The P3OM patent proves the strain is proteolytic, meaning it digests protein. It's antiviral, antiretroviral, eliminates pathogens and waste, and it's maintainable in the human digestive system. Once in your body, the P3OM super strain doubles every 20 minutes and helps get rid of the bad bacteria before it is then safely eliminated. To see it in action, go to p3om.com slash drew. Again, that is P3, that's the number three, p3om.com slash drew, and watch it dissolve a piece of raw steak. Try P3OM risk-free today. They have the best money-back guarantee in the industry. It's a 365-day full money-back guarantee. And if you don't find P3OM to be the most potent probiotic you've ever taken, their support team will give you all your money back, no questions asked. When you go to P3OM.com slash Drew, just be sure to enter the coupon code Dr. Drew, D-R-D-R-E-W, to receive a 20% discount. As always, a big thank you for listening to our show. We'd like to ask a small favor, but it's important. Take only a few minutes if you're uh, particularly one of the first people to do it. Podcast One will make it worth your while, literally. We're asking you to complete a short survey. Information you give us can help us make things better for the show and for you as a listener. Go to Podcast One slash survey and everything will be right there. That is Podcast One slash survey. The first 250 people who complete the survey will get a $10 gift card to Amazon.com. And two grand prize winners will be selected at random to get a $100 Amazon gift card. How about that? Free money? Win-win. Our shows are supported by advertisers, so filling this out will help us cater to the needs of you as a listener. Please go to podcastone.com slash survey, answer some questions, and potentially make some money along the way. Thank you for being a dedicated listener. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Dr. Drew Podcast. Uh, be sure to support those that support us here. Uh, new thing I want you got to do, if you don't mind, is uh, check out drdrew.tv. Sign up there, and you will get uh, email blast when we go live on a live show where you can just call in and ask questions. That will be on the weekends coming up. Keep an eye out for that. And don't forget After Dark and the family pods at drdrew.com. It's my privilege to welcome Stephen Moore. Stephen is the co-founder and CEO of Frax. It's a cryptocurrency company. His book is Trumponomics, Inside the America's Inside the American First Plan to Revive Our Economy, available on Amazon. You can follow him at Stephen Moore with a P-H-M-O-O-R-E. And uh, he was a significant advisor to President Trump's 2016 presidential campaign and was nominated to the Federal Reserve Board in uh, March of 2019, but uh, pulled your name. I did. It's a pleasure to be with you on your show. Thank pleasure you for having me. Pleasure to be here. Yeah. It, uh, was that uh, – to me, it seems like – the world we live in is one of just total vitriol and attacks. And <laughs> well, were, you think, not, were you not familiar with it at the time? I think you could say that when, when it came to uh, what I was going through. Um, you know, I, I have to say I was really pretty shocked that 
people actually cared that much about a Federal Reserve Board. You know, I mean, the fact is, uh, I was very honored when the president asked me to do this. I, I honestly didn't think it would be get a lot of attention because the truth is, you know, when it comes to the Federal Reserve Board, there's one person who has all the power, and that's the chairman. And I wasn't nominated to be the chairman. But it was almost flattering that the left was that uh, afraid of me to be on that uh, on that uh, on that uh, August board. And the frankly, you know, now that it's over, I, I love the life I'm living, and That's it would have been quite restrictive. And you know, sitting around with uh, you know twenty PhD economists is not exactly a barrel of monkeys. Well, so. <laughs> that's one thing I was going to say, which is is that it's it's um, it's a far more thought of a think tank and academic sort of environment isn't that many people, at least for the board of governors, not necessarily the meetings, but there's a, you're thinking about a lot of stuff and crunching a lot of numbers. Well, I mean, look, you know, this is the most powerful nation in the world. Our currency is the is you know in a lot of ways the global currency. So yeah, it's a extremely powerful um, board, but the you know the the chairman makes essentially all the decisions, and so I was going to use it as kind of a perch to speak out about the economy. It's no th- no secret that the president is not happy with the chairman of the Federal Reserve. Right. He, I wanted to ask you about that. Well, about let's, let's go right to it. What do you think about that? that well, I think it, Trump has been right. I mean, the Fed has been behind the curve. We have a, you know threat, more of a threat of deflation than inflation. These are really interesting times, by the way, that we're living in, if yeah, you follow this may, stuff. May, may you live in interesting times. Exactly. I mean, curse. I, don't, I didn't think I'd ever see a, a time when you would have interest rates that were Negative. In some cases, negative. Negative not, in Europe. Not in the U.S., but in Europe. That's right? insane. That's insane. I mean, and, and we don't even know what's insane. I mean, you, ha- you would have to be insane to, to buy a 30-year bond at a negative interest rate. So, I mean, so why to would buy a 30-year bond, you pay, pay the government the other to take com- your money. Yeah, the bondholder yeah. to, take, to hold your money, which is insanity. Yeah, it is. And so it's a, it's a sign of severe um, risk aversion. They're basically saying, you know, by the way, think about this. You would be better off taking your money. Putting it in a suitcase and burying it in your backyard. Yeah. <laughs> then and if you put it in gold, one of these might be a lot better. So we, now, look, we don't have negative interest rates in the U.S., but they're very, very low. And we have an inverted yield curve, which means the, sh- the long-term rates in some cases are, are uh, lower than the short-term rates. And, um, and we don't know the potential black swan hidden in these We don't because rates. we've never really – It's never happened. Modern times lived through this. Yeah. But I, look, I'm an optimist on the U.S. economy. I think things are going – very well, you know, from an employment and an interest rate and an inflation uh, standpoint. So, so I'm not so, trying to, try, you know, say that this is the end of the world. It's just uncharted territory. Look, when I graduated from college, I don't know how, how old are you? I'm 61. Okay. You and I are about the same age. Yeah. I'm 59. You remember, you know, there was a time in the late 70s when you had 20% mortgage interest rates. Oh, remember I remember, remember trying to buy a, uh, a CD at 20%. Oh, yeah. You know, I'll tell you a funny yeah. story. When I was I was working as a uh, at, at a bank, a community bank in right seventy nine eighty, and that bank was offering people lifetime CDs yeah. at eleven percent interest yeah. rates. Yeah, yeah. Now, needless to say, they went bankrupt because what happened, you know, a few years after that is, you know, Reagan came in and interest rates came. Remember, they came down from, you know. Uh, Fifteen percent down he, to about the, four or five percent. Didn't he raise them at first and then? Yeah, well, they, the he, Fed he raised rates, which yeah. sweated inflation out yeah. of the system. Yeah, yeah. And you know, long-term interest rates are basically based on. And then, incidentally, there's an important economic lesson there. The reason people are buying, you know, we said, why would you buy an interest rate uh, a bond at a negative interest rate, even thirty year? I mean, would you buy a thirty year government bond at a two percent interest rate? No, no. I well, mean, that's I, I mean, well, I mean. 
Unless I you're really... You're making a bet that over the next 30 years, interest inflation is going to be less than 2%. Right. I think that's a pretty bad that's, I bet. Wouldn't, wouldn't hold it, that's yeah. for sure. Yeah, right. Uh, so anyway, I mean, you've got a strange world, and Trump is Trump believes that the Fed has been too tight, and I happen to agree with them. Um, you know, I think the Fed made some catastrophically bad decisions at the end of 2018 in terms when of they raised rates twice, yeah. and it took the life but, out of the stock market. But, but didn't the the... Board, I mean, I kept all the way through uh, Janet Yellen's tenure. Mm-hmm. I just kept hearing that they needed room to breathe. Yeah. Like, that they, if something happens, there's nothing yeah. we can do. Well, see, I, I, of, I reject that argument. This okay. was the argument that we have to raise the rates now so we can cut them later. Right. You know, in other words, we have to cause a recession now so that we, you know, we can we can combat the recession we caused by lowering rates later. I, to me, that argument. I mean, I hear that argument all the time. Yeah. I just don't buy it. I mean, like, why? Why, if the economy is weak, why? And and by the way, what was going on in 2018? The economy was actually strong. We had no inflation. We had rising wages. We had, you know, as you mentioned, I worked for Trump. We put this plan together. We're like, we've reached Nirvana. We have high growth, rising wages, no inflation, and then the Fed starts raising rates and takes the wind out of the sails of the economy. So, look, I think the Fed has has made a few mistakes. I think they're correcting them now. The Fed is actually injecting cash into the economy yes, right now. They've been following week. this yeah, yeah. with these repos. So yeah. there, that's a a fancy term for saying in the overnight markets, it's pumping money into the banks because they're running out of cash. This is a sign that everybody wants to own dollars. We have the strongest economy in the world. Europe isn't growing. Japan isn't growing. You know, also Germany. Also, there's no inflation because if you were doing that in an inflationary that's right. environment, there would be inflation. That's absolutely true. Yeah. You're, you get an A in economics. You're yeah. exactly right about that. So, you know, that's that's the point of why the Fed should be, you know, in addition if, to doing this, you know, lowering rates, rates, not raising. Well, them. if anything, it gives maybe gives them some confidence to. Do so. You know, by the way, I have to say this, you know, I, I, I've always said that, um, you know, my, the bane of my existence is I travel all the time. You know, the bane of my existence is get stuck in the middle seat of an airplane. And so I've got a little trick. You know, if you ever if you ever have that happen to you, what you do is you turn to your seatmates and start talking about monetary policy. And it just <laughs> I'm clears out the whole row. <laughs> it works every time. That's hysterical. <laughs> so I hope we haven't lost our listeners. Well, I, I know. I'm, monetary I, policy. But it's important. I, I mean, it really is important about the direction of the economy and jobs and inflation and your interest rate you have on your mortgage and all these things are really you know, influenced by you – know, one of the problems I have with the Federal Reserve is why do we put so much power into a few people who are not elected? One of the things I want to do if I got in the Fed over the Fed and was to um, raise the veil of secrecy. Well, open it up. Let's see why they're making the decisions they do. There was an attitude among a lot of people that these are somehow like oracles or something like that can see the future, and, and they're not. Yeah. They make mistakes all the time, just like you and I make mistakes. Or, or that it would somehow bias markets or, or, or freak markets out, one or the other. You know, and uh, look, I think the, the idea – I'm a big believer in sunshine. Let the sunshine yeah, and Let people I'm figure out how they're making the decisions, why they're making the decisions. Uh, you know, all this stuff gets leaked anyway. So then, then it just becomes the insiders get the information and that hurts the little guy. So I'm a, I'm a complete dilettante in your field. But I try to under, I try to learn material in areas where I've had limited training. And so I listened to a podcast from the Hoover Institute. I think it's mm-hmm. uh, Econ Talk. I, I love those guys. Yeah. yeah. And I listened, recently listened to a Susan Houseman talking about um, manufacturing. And she had a couple of points that I thought were sort of interesting. The, her data, again, I can't recount the specific analysis, but her data essentially showed that technology and uh, automation – was not the major problem in terms of reducing uh, jobs in the manufacturing sector. It was offshore. It was the hmm. either either it was essentially the the trade problem. 
Uh, I don't agree with that. Um, I think that, uh, you know, I remember when I was a kid, I grew up in uh, Chicago, and I remember one time when I was about 12 years old, so this would have been early 70s, my parents took me to Detroit, you know, so we went to the steel factories, we went to the auto factories, and I'll never forget, you know, touring those things. I mean, my God, I mean, those were those were sweat, you know, what do they call them, the sweatshop jobs. I mean, those were people you know, yeah. carrying every equipment and, yeah. you know, with hard hats on. And it was, it was brutal. I was like, I don't want to do this when I grow up. But, right. you know, if you go into a modern steel factory or an auto factory today, it's nothing like it was 35 years. I mean, there's people in white coats, you know, lab, you know, technicians. Right. Like, so I think a lot there of it really – less of them it, on the line, right? Yeah. Pardon? The, there are less of those people oh, on the line. Them. But behind so, them is a whole sector that, that's contributing – correct me if I'm wrong yeah. – to the operation of these manufacturing technologically advanced units that go down as the service sector and not the manufacturing that's a great point. sector. You're very, very well put. You know, that it used to be GM – you know, had all of everything. GM was a multifaceted company with massive accounting and, you know, yeah. advertising. Da, da, da. They've shipped that out. Look, we're not – the bottom line is this. We are not losing we, – well, we, in the last couple of months, we've lost manufacturing jobs. But the truth is, you know, like I'm – I'm biased. I, I worked for Trump. I helped put the economic plan together, so I like to cite some of these statistics. We've gained a one, about 1.4 million blue-collar jobs in the last three years. We've gained mi- mining jobs, manufacturing jobs, construction jobs. My, my goodness. I mean, I, as I said, I travel all over the country. I go over from Portland, Oregon to Portland, Maine. Every city you go to, with very few exceptions, whether it's Fort Lauderdale, Florida, Denver, Colorado, Nashville, Tennessee, Los Angeles, California, all you see is cranes building everywhere. I mean, we're building things again. I mean, you see it here. You see it everywhere. I mean, even if you go to Cleveland and Detroit, you see it. So America's, you know, building things again. And this idea that we're, you know, losing all the blue collar jobs, I just, I think that's a, a a they're back, you know, and and we're kind of proud of that. And partly because we, we, we cut our, you, you mentioned factories leaving the United States. And yeah. of course, there was some of that. No question. They were going to China. They were going to Mexico. They were going to India. One of the reasons we cut the business tax rate was to try to take make America a more you know, attractive place yeah. to invest in. And we think that that's helped save a lot of these jobs. Well, I want to get into the China, China problem in a second. <laughs> but before, I'll let you talk about fracks so I don't lose that in the yes, weeds. Tell me about That's why the reason I'm here because I'm so excited. That's, that's what brought me to L.A. And, you know, uh, I, I became enamored with this new technology. This is – the way I put it is that um, these cryptocurrencies are the next big thing. Uh, and, you know, it's maybe a little bit of an exaggeration, but not m- much one to say this is like the internet in terms of how mm-hmm. it's going to change the way we transact in terms of, uh, you know, uh, uh, transactions that happen. Uh, I buy something from you, you buy something from me. More and more, it's going to be digital currency that's going to make those transactions. So it's not going to be dollar paper dollar bills. And um, what's cool about this is, and I, it appeals to me because I'm kind of a libertarian. I don't like, <laughs> I want government as much out of my life as possible. So this is a- Pro-Fed libertarian. Yeah, I am. You know, <laughs> And so I'm a, I, I like the idea of getting rid of the government monopoly over currencies. Mm-hmm. And right now, you know, you've got central bankers. We started this conversation about talking central banks that are making all the decisions about what should interest rates and be and what's this and that. And now that you've got the, these private currencies that do an end run around government and the you and I, the cryptocurrency, they are electronic currencies. Frax is the one that I've signed up with because I think they've got a tra- great technology. But the cool thing about this is now you can make transactions and guess what? It's no longer the government's business. They can't track these things. You know, I'm a 
privacy guy too. I don't want the government knowing what I bought it, <laughs> you know, how much I paid for my house or what I bought for this or that. So it's a it, and it, it also one of the th- practical reasons this is going to take off is as more and more transactions happen digitally, uh, you, you want to buy something on Amazon, you just use a frax currency, you can buy the stuff and, and there's no transaction costs. You know, if you use a credit card mm. or use, you know, PayPal or these other kinds of, um, you know, payment systems, you pay sometimes a three or four percent, you know, charge for that. Somebody so does. Somebody this, does anyway. yeah, so this, yeah, well, ultimately the consumer pays yeah. it, right? Yeah. And so that this is a really a neat new frontier for the digital age. And I, I th- there's no question that we're going to see cryptocurrencies. It's a question of which ones are going to win out. Now, yeah. you may have heard of uh, Libra yeah. and Facebook. No, and no. They, you know, they're the big 800-pound gorilla, or at least they were, although they've, the last Month or two has not gone well for them. They a lot were, of companies are dropping out of Libra for because, one reason or another. Well, I thought it was a concern well, about the developing countries were going to be their currencies. Were actually, be the by biggest this. problem I think that uh, Libra has faced and Facebook is the government regulators are saying you know they might regulate them out of existence. This look when you have a, a new movement like this that is you know um, subverting. The impact of the Federal Reserve Board, the SEC, the Commodities Futures Trading Corporation—you know—they don't like that. International too much. monetary policy, yeah, exactly, the World Bank, exactly. Right? Yeah. Do you think those people want this? No, well, they're worried. This takes about away it. their power. Well, they, they, of course, they, I'm sure that. But I mean, if it really would help humanity, I'm sure they would want to help bring it in. But they I want to bring yeah, it in their terms. I think you terms. have more trust. I do think that you know the nature of government bureaucratic institutions is to preserve the protect turf. themselves. Yeah, and yeah, and yeah. so I do think that they. Now, look, I mean, I'm not saying they're all bad people. Mm-hmm. I'm just saying. Saying that they do view this as a threat to their fiefdoms. I mean, you know, the Federal Reserve, they want to run the monetary policy in the world. They don't want other currencies that are outside of their control. So explain to people how cryptocurrencies work and, and what's up with yours. So ours is basically based on the dollar. So it's what, what's unique about the uh, the Frax um, technology is that it it's a, a dollar for a dollar. So you get one dollar for, you know, in other words, you 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 Give me a dollar, you get a dollar of frax. It's it's pegged to the dollar. So if the dollar goes up or down, it it moves with that. The, whereas the Libra, for example, was based on a basket of currencies, and we think that the dollar is more stable in value. It goes back to the question of why do you have why do you have a currency? Why do you have dollar bills in your pocket or in your bank account? Because if if you didn't believe that it was gonna the money was gonna retain its value, you wouldn't do that, right? You'd hold gold or something else. And so we believe the frax will be a very stable currency. In fact, we call frax the stable currency because you know it'll always be pegged to the dollar. The dollar has been pretty stable over the last thirty years in value. It's not perfect, but it's certainly um, been a pretty stable currency. That's how it became the global currency. And so you now will trade in your dollars for frax. You can make all sorts of digital purchases with your frax currencies. You don't pay any transaction fees. The government doesn't have it keep can't keep track of what you're buying and how much you're paying for things. Uh, and so there's a practical reason why people would want to do this. And, and by the way, I was talking to uh, Kaz, Sam Kazmian, who's the, the CEO of the company today, and, and he was saying, you know, he thinks the big for international transactions. If you buy something in Germany or you buy, you know, you're talking about big companies that are buying things overseas all the time. This this is a very practical way of um, of buying these uh, these products. And you might say significant amounts if it's 2% of a major transaction. Yeah, you better believe it. Yeah. Uh, and But I thought part of cryptocurrency was letting it float. I thought that was part of the no, whole – No, well, that, see, that's just the interesting thing. I mean, it's a good question. So what everybody – most people are familiar with is something called Bitcoin. Yes. I'm sure you know Bitcoin. Yes. Well, bit, this is the problem with Bitcoin is Bitcoin – you remember, it goes back to what I just said. You have a currency – the val- the 
purpose of a currency, you can look up Webster's Dictionary, is to hold value over time. So it's so it's a good means of exchange. If if you've got a currency that's going up and down and up and down and up and down, and it loses its practical function. And so this is a problem. I would argue right now, Bitcoin is not really a currency. What it is is a speculative. People are just buying it to speculate that it will go up in value or down. You know, they're 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 shorting it because they think it's going to go down. But it's not really being used as a People don't use bitcoins in transactions the way frax would be because it's too volatile in price. Was the assumption that it would stabilize eventually? Yeah. yeah. Well, you know, it's funny. I I think that um, there was a huge rush at the beginning because people thought it was cool as you had mm. this new currency, but um, it wasn't pegged to anything, and so it became you know you'd have a rush of people buying it and its price would go up, and then people go, oh, no, you know, just and then it would fall in price, and you know, it's, it was like a stock. You know, that was going up and down. And that's not what you want in a currency. It was a commodity, really, is where it was going. But look, you know, Bitcoin, people who invested at the very beginning with Bitcoin made a lot of money. If you bought it two years ago, you didn't make a lot of money. It's actually fallen. Yeah. Yeah. So so, uh, does it work the same way by the computer to computer? Yeah. It's all digitalized. By the way, I have not – you're going to have to get the the computer guys who have done, you know, literally thousands of hours of coding to make this thing work, to make sure that – for example, one issue is how do you make sure that you don't inflate the currency? That somebody shows up, hey, I've got – 100,000 fracks, you know, right. I just found them. No, you have to, you, you, there's a, it's very technical stuff. You have to mine these, you, you know, in other words, you have to find them on the internet and you have to, you have to pay, you know, a amount of money, you know, for them. And so they, they are technologically stable in price. And you're the CEO, is it? A- I'm not the CEO. Oh, I'm a co-founder. Okay. CEO is Sam Kasman. He started. Yeah. So I, I'm, a, I'm one of the co-founders. I'm, right. I, I loved it because I, I love these guys. They, you know, the, the guys who are running the company, they're young people. You know, this mm. is a new age we're in. They're young guys. They've been very successful in other endeavors. Uh, they understand, you know, all this blockchain stuff and all of this stuff with the digitalized, everything being digital. Um, it's, it's the new age. And I believe – Five years from now, if you have me back, you know, we'll, it, it'll be a very common thing that people use. You know, you'll use dollar bills if you go to the Seven Eleven and you know buy a soda. But for your internet purchase, we're going to be more and more common. You'll just use one of these cryptocurrencies, and we hope the one you use is Frax. If it stays stable and secure, I can't imagine why you wouldn't. You save money every time. Exactly. You use it. Yeah. Yeah. So, so what do you want people to do? Sign well, we want people. Or? Well, it'll be uh, sometime in the next few months. It'll be operational. People should check it out. Where do you See, go? Uh, it's frax.finance. and uh, you know it's a great way to just you know keep you, shelter you, your money from the government to uh, to have a, a way of making your transactions on the internet. And we think it could be you know tens and tens of billions of dollars of fracks being traded every day. How do you buy it? Uh, well, that's a good question. You, you can't have feed to feed dollar bills into your computer. No, you ha- you know you'll have to. It's a co- that's a complicated process. You have you'd actually have to have other. You have to buy another cryptocurrency. and You trade that in for Frax, and mm. you know it's a, so it's a complicated uh, process. But um, the, it, there's a real network effect. In other words. It's going to be tough going at first, but right. once it gets bigger and bigger, what we want is be you know one thing we would want, for example, is where do people what do people buy on the internet? Amazon, right? right. That's the you know the yeah. by far the biggest. So we want Amazon to say we take Frax. You can buy you know the, your books and your produce and all these huge. things with Frax. That would be gigantic. For are us. you guys talking to them? Uh, we are. Else. We're tra- we're talking with all the major retailers and so right. on, and they're interested. I mean, they're they're interested. They see it coming. I do. I think. 
But look, at some point as this catches on, they're going to have to take Fox, right? Because right. people are going to have it. And yeah. They're not going to buy it if they can't pay with Fox. So you can make it easier somehow to buy Frax, uh, the Frax dollars. Be It'll be – look, I didn't do a very good – you're no, going to have to get Sam Kasman in here to explain no, how, I know it's how the whole weird. thing gets launched because well, it, it is. Whenever I've tried to buy cryptocurrency, it's always like, oh, I forget <laughs> it. I just, I just ran out of steam. Uh, but I, so any ease, you know, streamlining that, making it easier. I don't know what again. It makes what every it, every transaction you, you make instantaneous. But you want to take the credit cards out of it, right? Yeah. You, you oh, wanna, the credit card companies aren't right, going to like this right. at all. Right. So how do you get the money into the fracks? You have to. You, you have to. Bank, you have to buy them, and there's a process by which you do that. And don't yeah. please don't. Okay. Explain That's the part I want to be Yeah, but you you right. know essentially you you have a. Essentially, like a bank account yeah. that has a certain amount of frax currencies that right. you bought, and then you use that for. And when you run out of them, you have to go and buy more of them. Do you send a check yeah. to somebody. It'll <laughs> Again, be a thing. All right. You know, well, that's that's, that's chapter two. Okay? All right. Fair enough. <laughs> uh, so let's let's get back to the general economic yeah. frontier right now. And uh, are, are, when you when you think about the potential risk, are, are there black swans out there that you worry about? Is there anything that you sort of when you try? I always try to think. Yeah, what could, no, what of course. Could, what could, could go wrong? Reminds me. What do you think about? I, well, I'm a natural optimist, so I don't me, think. Me, be, me too. <laughs> me too. <laughs> but, but but I got I got to say that <laughs> yeah, the, no, the negative interest rate in Europe. I think keep thinking we don't yeah. even know what the potential. Okay, black so there, swan there's is there. there's two or three black yeah. clouds. Yeah. Let's start with the big one, which you said you want to talk about China. So right. China is a bad actor. I happen I'm a free trade guy. Yeah. I happen to agree with Trump though on China. I think China is a, is a menace uh, on the world stage. I'm worried about them. I think I'm worried about them militarily. I'm worried about them in terms of their cheating and stealing and being predatory trade practices which are hurting the United States and other countries that they and and ultimately it's hurting them as well. I'm not by the way, I'm not bullish on China. I think China has moved in the wrong direction in so many areas. They've moved away from the free market and more towards a you know a kind of totalitarian central planning model, which in the end is I think it's going to crash and burn eventually. And so, but look, there were the two largest economies in the world, U.S. and China, and we're in a trade war. And uh, you know, if you if you had Donald Trump here and you asked, did we start start this trade war? He said, no, they started this ten years ago. We're just figuring out that we're in a war, and I happen to agree with them on that. I don't like tariffs, but I think you know uh, that they are an appropriate tool to try to change China's behavior. So we have this tentative deal right now that, you know, I told Trump, I met with them about a week ago in the Oval Office. I, you know, I advised him. I said, Mr. President, get the best deal you can from China. This isn't going to end you know this. This is going to be like the, the old Cold War. This is going to go on for a while until we figure out which of these two Titanic, you know, world, uh, you know, uh, economies, you know, takes the lead. And by the way, I'll bet on the United States, not China. But uh, it's going to take a while. But if if we can get this trade deal signed, sealed, and delivered. I think it'll be a very positive thing for the economy and the stock market, and I think it'll help Trump a lot in 2020. He needs a strong economy in 2020 to get elected. So that's number one. You got to get the trade thing resolved. Number two, I am worried about the rest of the world. They're not growing. There's, as I mentioned earlier, there's no growth in Europe right now. Germany's in recession. Japan's flatlined. China's economy is really tanked. Uh, well, but six percent growth. Is well, that but you know that. It, <laughs> so, I hope you're saying that with a smirk because yeah. they lie about their statistics. Okay. You know, okay. Um, you know they, they, we, we don't really know well, what their funny. growth is. I spoke to a guy that's a 
he sort of studies revolutions all over the world. He's in Hong Kong right now, <laughs> right. and he said, "He goes, you don't realize how bad it, this economy thing is." He says, "Trump has taken a chainsaw of the Chinese economy, and we yeah, don't see has. it." And you don't, and, and also the repress isn't reporting that. Yeah, you know, they keep saying how the, how much the the tariffs are hurting us, which right. they are. I mean, yeah, I'm not denying that, but they're hurting China. You know, it, you, Trump used to say, "If we we can't trade with China, we sneeze. If they can't trade with us, they catch pneumonia." China needs access to the American market. Period. Uh, you know, hard stop. And so they are being hurt by this. And uh, and uh, that's why, you know, as I said earlier, an, an agreement, a truce would be good for the U.S. and China. Mm. You know, so they hopefully they'll do what's so in their own self-interest. Well, so the, the big problem they have, it seems to me, is that these manufacturers are leaving rapidly. Yes, they're going to Vietnam. Southeast Asia going, and yep. South America. That's right. And they're not coming back. Exactly. I don't care how good the deal gets that's in China. They're going to stay right where they are. It's so a, they're taking a big risk because a lot of people say, well, they'll just wait out Trump and hope that he loses in 2000. The, the problem is they might not be able to wait a, a year for that to yeah. happen. That's a great point. Businesses are, are nimble. The U.S. business is particular. And so is capital. Capital can flee. You know, here's another problem they have. I mean, you everybody's following what's happening in Hong Kong. You know, Hong Kong is is the jewel of China, right? I mean, you know, it's the it's the place that's grown like crazy. And they and I think there's a decent chance you're going to see, unfortunately, the people's what do they call it? The People's Liberation Army moving into Hong Kong. If that happens, you're going to see capital leave Hong Kong on mass and you know where is it going to go? The country I'm really high on, by the way. Here's my investment of it. Wait, hold on. It's a, a country in Asia. Not Singapore. Singapore, yeah. yeah. Singapore is going to going to be the new Hong Kong. I mean, because all it that already capital, is, isn't it? I know it is, but I mean, it's in fact, it's probably richer. But I, I mean, think, it's, I think it's Vietnam gonna, and Cambodia might get well. A lot those of this too. too. I mean, they're all going to benefit from the fact that China, um, Indonesia you know, too, has got a lot of room. Got to go, it. There's so. a lot of populous countries yeah. around there that can flee. Indonesia is the fifth largest population. I know, isn't that amazing? What do they have? It. Like 150 million yeah, people or something crazy. like that. Um, so yeah, so there's lots of interesting things that could happen on the on the positive front. But I keep trying to figure out where the black swans could be, so where the, the hidden it's, problems it's are. It's the breakdown in potentially international trade. It's the uh, it's the uh, uh, you know the problem that the rest of the world isn't growing. And then look, I'll say something that you know some of your listeners will agree with, and some don't. I'm worried about what's happened with the Democratic Party. I mean, I listen, and I'm not an especially partisan person. I mean, I'm here happy to rag on the Republicans if you want me to, but. I'm not hearing any good ideas out of Democrats. I mean, it's all income redistribution, soak the rich, sock it to the rich. We're going to punish people who are successful. There's no growth theme. I mean, you know, I always say that if John F. Kennedy were alive today, he'd be laughed off the stage in the Democratic Party. He believed right. in free trade. He believed in – he cut taxes. He, was, he believed in a strong economy. He used to say a rising tide lifts all boats. Now what I'm hearing is just take it from the rich. Steal, you know, it's like plundering people. Well, it's not an economic growth message. And I think that – look, if there were – if people actually thought that Elizabeth Warren was going to be the next president – I, I don't. I don't know anything about your politics, but do you think people want to invest in that kind of situation? We're going to sack it to the big companies that are too say We're going to break up big companies. I mean, you know, 156 million Americans have money in the stock market, either in individually owning it or through retirement plans or 401k plans. I mean, this is a uh, an agenda that I find very troubling, and I think it could cause a lot of damage if if, if that were to come to pass. Well, I want to tell you again about our friends at CBDMD. They want to be your one-stop holiday shop. It's Halloween after all for everything from recipes to gift guides to helpful hints to make the holidays better. Again, everyone's heard all the anecdotes about CBD in terms of pain. I just had a, a woman just recently struggling with ankle pain for years who had an excellent result with CBD. 
sleep, anxiety. The anecdotes are there. The clinical science has not yet quite caught up with it. There are CBD products for your pets even to help them calm with all the chaos around around Halloween, say, and around the dinners and Thanksgiving and, and of course, Christmas. So whether you're cooking, cleaning, shopping, or even just procrastinating, just turn to CBDMD. And to make prepping for the holidays even easier, CBDMD is offering all of our listeners 20% off your next order when you use the code DRDREW at checkout. Once again, CBDMD.com, promo code Dr. Drew, one word, for 20% off your purchase of premium CBD oil products from CBDMD. Again, CBDMD, just what the doctor ordered. Well, we're going to touch on a subject you heard me talk about before, and people are uncomfortable with it, but it's a medical issue, erectile dysfunction, and just the way people talk about it is uncomfortable. Truth is that as many as 30 million men are affected. Yeah, 60% at 60, 50% at 50, 40% of 40, we say, have this condition, and it's yeah, look, it's biological. It's just how it works. And it affects two people, the man and the partner, and really affect relationships. Now, we all know about the pharmaceutical options that have been helping for 20 years plus now. But for some, people don't want to take the medication. The solution isn't fully adequate or ineffective, or they just want to get off the meds. That's where Gainswave is a great option. Gainswave is a breakthrough shockwave-based treatment that addresses what is the root cause of ED, a buildup of arterial microplaque in the penis. Buildup can severely impede the blood flow necessary for an erection. The Gainswave treatment uses sound waves to break up the microplaque and improve blood flow. It's a non-invasive, drug-free, easy-to-tolerate option, very promising. It takes about 20 minutes. Most men enjoy the benefits. Same day. Best part is Gainswave reports a 75% success rate. Really, truly impressive. If you think you or your partner could benefit, I urge you to look into it. There are over 400 Gainswave providers in North America. To learn more, go to drdrew.com slash wave, W-A-V-E. Again, that is D-R-D-R-E-W, drdrew.com slash W-A-V-E. Check it out today. As a physician, I found there is one issue that, well, we all suffer from, and it is incurable. No one gets out alive. Of course, I'm talking about aging. And a lot of people are trying to push back father time with Botox, fillers, surgeries, and they're helpful, but uh, one of the biggest concerns people have is coming out botched. If you're looking for a safe and natural way to maybe push back aging, consider Plexiderm Rapid Reduction Serum. Plexiderm is a clinically studied serum that visibly reduces wrinkles under the eyes and even crow's feet. It works in minutes and can be used right from home. Not only is it fast, Plexiderm is a natural product derived right from shale rock, making it safe and easy to use. Everyday folks across the country have sworn by Plexiderm. It's a game changer in the beauty industry. The buzz of Plexiderm has become nationwide, and even some makeup artists and celebrities are talking about it. In fact, you have nothing to lose with Plexiderm. Affordable, safe, easy to use comes in a 30-day money-back guarantee. Eh, maybe you don't want surgeries. Save time, save money, give Plexiderm a shot. You will not be disappointed. Again, money-back guarantee. And a great benefit is no one knows you're using it. Your age is safely addressed with Plexiderm. Go to triplexiderm.com. Use my code Drew for 50% off plus an additional $10 off. That's right, 50% off plus an extra $10. The offer is also available by calling 1-800-685-1292. Again, that number, 800-685-1292. Of course, mention the code Drew and you get that 50% reduction and $10 off. Visit plexiderm.com today. Use code Drew at checkout. Again, that is triplexiderm, P-L-E-X-A-D-E-R-M, triplexiderm.com slash Drew. Have you spent much time in this state, California? <laughs> I mean, it's a total I have. I've, complete... I've written a number of books about states. I, this I wrote... state is a mess. It is. A... Civilization is unraveling. It is. I know the this. basic the basic it's, function of government are being ignored. I completely agree yeah. with and you, so, and, I, and it's by the way, it's you know I always say you know there's four, the four biggest states in the country are of course New York, Texas, Florida, California. Yeah, there you go. And two of those are 
you know, two of those states, Texas and Florida. You know what the income tax in Texas and Florida is, my Zero. friend? Zero. Yeah. You know what it is? You know what it is here in California. It's 13.5%. Yeah. And, and, well, and the gas tax and the property of course. tax. And it's just so all this state is being – and so here's the most amazing thing. And by the way, New York, to, New York also has – $5 a gallon for gas. Uh, it's I mean, unbelievable. Yeah. And so in the last decade, um, Florida and Texas have each gained roughly 1 million people from other states. You know, people voting with their feet. That is, to be very clear on this, one million more Americans moved to Texas than moved out of Texas. And uh, and I'm talking, I'm not talking about immigration. I'm talking about people moving from one state to another. A, a million people moved more, more people moved into Florida than moved out of Florida. And then New York, 1.5 million people over the last decade have moved out of New York. And California, which is here, we are in the most glorious place in the world. No. I mean, I love LA. I love San Francisco. I love San Diego. It's, it's really this is the most beautiful place on the planet. Mm-hmm. And in over the last decade, do you know how many people have moved out of California on net? One million. Net, yeah. And well, here's the problem: is they they have people with businesses and the tech yep. and the techs are entangled. We can't get out. We would have. Well, go. you'd be surprised. I mean, you it's go most to, of the middle class. They're it just is. Going. You're being hollowed out. Yeah, that's very going. true. So the way I look at it is, really, really rich people they can afford to pay the toll of living here. You know, if you're a you know, you know worth fifty million dollars, you can pay to live in New York. If you live in, but if you're really um, you know poor, you've got really nice welfare benefits in here. So this is a great place to be. The middle class is leaving, and that's a problem for a society. You know, I mean, I go to San Francisco. I'm going to San Francisco on Friday. My goodness, you can't walk down the streets of San Francisco today. Right. It's disgusting. Right. I mean, it's just Dangerous. like you put it very well. Civilization is breaking down in California, and it's a yeah. crisis, in my opinion, of leadership. Oh my God, yes, it's just unbelievable. It's and and they have a theological veil where they can't. They seem unable to perceive what's happening. Three three people are dying on our streets in LA County every day. My my question to the LA leadership is: What's the body count need to be before you try something different? Yeah. What the what the body count? Is it be a hundred right. a day, a thousand a day before you stop this crap? And the problem is you're enablers too. You know the homeless. The, I, I've, we all feel for people who don't have a home. I mean, we want Listen, a roof over people's. These head. are not. These are. This is a mental health crisis. The, it is so mental health, a and it's book. a drug and a mental health it's problem. A great but, book. But you enable it though by you know why there's no there's no reason you can't. We absolutely should have mental hospitals and we should have shelters for people who are homeless. But to have them pissing and pooping on street corners and you know disrupting yeah. commerce. Yeah. I mean, there used to be vagrancy laws against yeah. this. And people, I talked to people, we just don't know what to do about it's it. It's so I'm easy. Like, exactly. It's so easy. I know exactly what to do. Yeah. We need more psychiatric beds. We need more psychiatrists yes. in order to pull it off. We change Lantern but Petrus, which is we change the gravely disabled definition. We expand conservatorships and we enforce vagrancy laws and it ends immediately. Immediately. Yes. Yeah. That's the end of it. If you, I mean, they did this in New York. I mean, I hate to bring yes, up Rudy Giuliani because he's been, no, there's <laughs> he's, not, it, he's pretty controversial. But it wasn't but, just Giuliani. Uh, uh, de Blasio has a new thing. It's kind of cool where they, they he picks them up every night, yeah. takes them to Randall's Isle. Yeah. They have people, motivational enhancement experts, people giving them care there. They're given vouchers to go back to the city during the day if they want, which some of them do. Yeah. And if and at nighttime, they take them back, and yep. that's fine. It yep. works. Yeah. Well, I mean, you, and then you you know your sanctuary cities and San Francisco and so on. So you become a magnet for illegal immigration. Look, I'm very pro immigration. Well, I think immigrants are great for our country, well, of but course. they got to come in legally and to have you know people. You're racist. In their You're racist. I know what you're <laughs> But Prop 47 made drug use legal and drug trafficking legal. Prop 57 made all crimes non-crimes, and AB 109. Added so the to question that. I have for you, I'm, I know. You're the one, but you know. So I, I watch you from two thousand miles away on the East Coast, yeah. and the question we're all asking you in California yeah. is: California savable? It, it's not clear. 
Yeah. I mean, it'd be easy to do. Yeah. It'd be, it, I, Where's I, the leadership? I mean, Gavin Newsom, uh, you know, I just don't see him no. taking the tough steps to no. deal with it's it. It's not tough. It's, it's, I've been talking to the Domestic Policy Committee at the White House, right. and they're listening, and they're, they get mm-hmm. what's going on, and they're eventually, if nothing happens, they're going to have to do something. This is a, med- this is a medical and mental health crisis. This it is a catastrophe. And it's a drug, it's a drug issue as oh, well. Oh, of course. Yeah. And finally, the LA Times reported that 85% of people on the streets have drug or mental health problem. Oh, no kidding. Right. And it's probably more like 95%. And so we're, they're, they're st- the, the public is starting to wake up to, to many things, that, they, that their life as they knew it is, com- is completely unlivable, that we have people dying on our streets, that we're giving free health care to here. If you, to people well, it's if becoming a public health problem too. Oh, I mean, oh, that's there's going to be. We have a typhus outbreak. Yes, and what follows typhus is Ursinia, which is called plague. That's what in this environment. The last plague outbreak in the world was in Los Angeles in the 1920s, and we have. Well, so, aren't people awake to this? I mean, ladies and gentlemen, are you listening? This I'm is a big problem. It from every I know rooftop. you do, and, and it, it's it's beyond. But there are there's movement. There's movement. Okay, well that's. I recommend a strong uh, strongly book named American Psychosis. It's called that really chronicles how we got here, and it's mismanagement by my profession, and it sent the state medical system on this on the course of destruction. And then we put in place a community mental health center system that was a catastrophe, and Reagan finally closed that. And then we've done nothing to deal with the people that need the chronic mental, the constitutional, the custodial care. They ended up in the prison, the nursing homes, and the streets, and that's it. Well, you know, and then they say we need more affordable housing in California. Nothing yeah. to do with housing. If- they won't go in the house. I know, well, but that's another problem for people who, you know, like my son lives in San Francisco. He pays $2,200 a month in San Francisco for a jail cell practically. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and then, you know, why aren't they building, you know, uh, I saw in California they're talking about bringing back rent control. I mean, there's one thing that almost all economists agree on. Yeah. We don't agree on a lot, but the rent control is a really bad idea because it actually reduces the supply of affordable housing. Correct. And yet, you know, you, all these bad ideas keep coming back in places like California. Well, yeah, that's the thing. It's like full of bad ideas. And it's, it's you know, we're going to get rid of jails. We're going to you know, leave people to languish and die on the streets. I mean, it's just it, – we went through this before in the 60s, didn't we? Didn't we well, try look, this? I mean, look at – the other thing we're reading about on the East Coast is you're rolling blackouts. I mean, nobody has rolling blackouts anymore. It's because Again, you don't have um, you know, enough stable energy sources. Basic failure of government. Yes, so The basic absolutely. function of government and civil – But nobody – see, you – I don't mean you personally, mm-hmm. but you all who live here, you're responsible because yep. you have to hold these politicians' yep. feet to the fire and nobody does. You, and, it's almost like you can't because they're all together. They, yeah. they like completely hold the power in a way that no one – we – Well, every once in a while – I mean I have to – it's funny. I, I was thinking about this the other day. How long ago is it that when Arnold Schwarzenegger was elected? That was about 15, 20 Seems years like ago. Seems like it's 100 years ago. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean at least people at that time – and I view Arnold's governorship as a failed experiment. Yep. Yep. But at least people said, you know, it ain't working. We got to try something new. Now, Arnold tried to do some interesting things at the beginning. You know, he wasn't able to pull it off. And, and then it was just right back to where they were before. So I do – I still think at some point you could get a leader to come in. And I don't – unfortunately, I don't think it's Gavin Newsom mm-hmm. who can start to wreck this state in the right place because this is an awesome place. By the way, Silicon Valley is not – Irreplaceable. I mean, my God, I go to Austin, Texas. You go to Boston. Yeah, you go to all these right. places that are now becoming technolo- technology centers. I have a friend who had the one of the fifty greatest homes in America. I'm saying this to, as a warning to Californians. He, Laguna Beach, the most beautiful you know view of the ocean. He built his business in California. His family's in business in California. He grew up in California. Da da da. He called me last year. Said I'm finally I'm finally moving to Miami. 
I'm mm. selling my house. The, why aren't the alarm bells going off in this state? New York has very similar stories. Of course. I mean, can you go to Florida? Oh, my God. Florida is just is, is New York South now. And people, what they do is they live there 183 days. They don't pay any income tax in New York. You know, they'll go back in the summer months and so on. But it's a, you know, the blue states are losing. And, and they're and until they reform their ways, I think they're going to continue to lose people. It, it really, it's just so scary to me. I mean, I, I, I don't know what to think about all this. Uh, I, I it, it makes me, I have zero interest in politics, but it makes me feel like I have to get involved to save lives. Well, the other thing that's happening, I think you see this in California, see a lot, is you get gated communities. So wealthy people are going to gate themselves off from the disaster that's happening. It's almost like, you know, out of one of these dystopian yeah, novels, yeah. right? They have their own security forces and things. Yeah. Oof. All right, let's, we've gone but down But I'm, I'm an optimist. I, yeah, like, yeah. I think the economy is doing well. I think America is doing well. I think people are proud of the direction we're going in. I mean, people may not like Trump. I mean, a lot of people don't like Trump. But, you, you know, when, when you have the lowest unemployment rate in 50 years, the lowest black unemployment rate, the lowest Hispanic unemployment rate, no. the lowest, you know, Asian unemployment rate, you've got low interest rates, you've got a low inflation. I mean, this is a pretty good time. You know, 7.1 million jobs. That's how many surplus jobs there are in the United States. That's never happened before. So all this talk about recession and the economy is coming to an end. I mean, come on. This is a really good – if you're a worker, this is the best economy and time to be looking for a job in 50 years. One thing about uh, New York, I, I was, I've always said that you know the tax structure is very similar there to here, particularly if you're in New York City. But you get so – they give you something for your taxes. Yeah. There's, there's culture and community spaces and public transportation. I mean I don't mind paying taxes. It's when it – Goes into a, a yeah. What a we say about California is California is half a libertarian um, dreamland. It has no public services, but you do have high taxes. Oh, God, <laughs> that they fast train for ninety billion dollars, of which none of it got spent properly. They, there's no train. It's just right. it's unreal. But uh, back to the unemployment. So folks that uh, that are skeptical about Trump's uh, unemployment <sighs> yes. rate will often tell me they'll go, um, well. We all heard about the people who dropped out of the unemployment yeah. lines during the Obama administration. Mm-hmm. They're still on the sidelines. So uh, that's actually not – so there's something called the – I don't want to get too technical. There's something yeah. called the U6 unemployment rate. And I always – in the Obama years, I always called that the real unemployment rate because the, unemplo- the, uh, the headline unemployment rate was going down but – Precisely because a lot of people were dropping out of the workforce of working age, and so it, it was kind of an artificial, um, you know, metric that said things are getting better for workers when actually they weren't getting much better. Um, the U six unemployment rate has fallen from like eleven percent to about six percent in the last few years. So we have one of the lowest. And by the U six means that counts the people who, you know, have dropped out of the workforce. How do, at all. How do they count them? Well, how do they, they know, find them. They know they know people. You know this is all done by a survey, and they yeah. know how many people were you working, and did you drop? They asked, did you drop out of the workforce? And right. and so um, they know that. And then they also know the other thing is you know um, if let's say you you're in a tough economic situation and you can't find a full time job, so you have to take a part time job. Well, that's you're considered employed under the. But you know you know it's hard to. Feed your family on a part-time job. So those people uh, in the U6 are not counted as fully employed. Anyway, that number is much better. The the income numbers are really good too. I mean the the average middle-class family now has $5,000 more income than they did in in 2000 when Obama left office. That's a that's a really big increase in middle-class income. So when Pelosi when Pelosi and, you know, um, Elizabeth Warren say oh, only the rich have benefited from this economy. It's just that's plainly not true. You can see this by the way in the way people are spending money now. The one thing 
thing that's really held up the economy, because you're right, manufacturing has fallen off a little bit. It's been consumers. We're, spend, we're shopping like crazy right. you know, we, because we have more money in our paper. We've checks. always relied on that. Uh, have you seen the other thing we've done here in California? This AB five, where we take we've eliminated independent contractors. Everyone Wait, has I'm, to be a full time employee now. Everybody. This is a really bad oh, no, know, idea because it oh, means no kidding. It's it, over. It's a sign of the law. Yeah, it's, it, it's a sign of the apocalypse. Yeah, uh, yeah and I no, know it's, it, they, Newsom signed it last week. So they, it was an attempt to get Uber to hire their their drivers as employer employees, and they're forcing that, that will destroy of, that will that will, it will you destroy know, the, bring the company. You know, yeah. and uh, you know when I came over here, uh, uh, Uber driver you know drove me over, and he you know was telling me he's got three kids, he's got a wife who has cancer, and he's he's driving fifty sixty hours a week. You know, I, I admire the guy. You know, he's working his butt off, his tail off, to be able to support his family. He's an Uber driver. You want to put those people out of business? Well, he wants to make them full-time employees. But anybody that works under 40 hours is going to be out. Yeah, but I mean – you, that that whole model is, you know, you yeah, can know. anybody can work, you know, and, and whatever know. hours they want well, to. I, and, they, I say it's discriminatory against women of childbearing years if they want point. to. If they want to work part time, you are specifically discriminating against that group. Well, the other thing that they want to do is they want to create. Uh, they're talking about this in California and, and and even federally that you know we have something called the franchise model in the United States, which is like let's say you were going to run a. A Burger King, yeah. or you know, it's a way for people to start businesses. You yeah. buy, buy a franchise, an Arby's, or a, you know, uh, some kind of store that's a chain. They want to basically say, like, that that franchise model, that that business, you can sue the, you know, the 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 home company if something, you know, if you slip and fall or something like that. Well, Ooh. let's destroy this franchise model. We're the we're, one of the reasons we have so many small businesses in this country. Is because we reward small business. We have, you know, there are millions of franchise owners in the country, and so I, I do worry about these. They're all well intended, but they have adverse consequences, and and that's a, another example. What were Adam and I talking about, Gary? His Unintended consequences right, is the new. title of your most recent episode. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's, uh, it's certainly in California because I mean you can probably point to every law that's passed and say this had a you know that that you know it had a good intention. Mostly, right? you know, it had a good intention, but good intentions aren't well enough. That we live in a real world where people respond to incentives, and that's what economics is about. People spot, respond to incentives. If you tax something, ladies and gentlemen, you get less of it. If you tax something less, you get more of it. So we could be putting more taxes at work and investment and entrepreneurship and you know human effort, and therefore you know people give less of it. And why do we do that? Why do we tax goods rather than bads? We should tax things like smoking, <laughs> right. you know, and, and uh, you know, uh, those kinds of things and not things. We, we do. We tax those. We tax I know, prices. but I'm just saying, you know, there are, we should tax uh, people on what they take out of the economy, in my opinion, not what they put into it. What about the income disparity that is of great concern right now? Well, as I said, the average family income is up $5,000 in the last three years. So, the you know, I, I, I think there's way too much emphasis on how well the rich are doing. I mean, look, yes, we have Warren Buffett. We have, you know, Zuckerberg. We have uh, – uh, 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 who runs Amazon? Uh, uh, Davos. Bezos. Bezos. Bezos, yeah. I mean, these people are super rich, but my God, nobody ever put a gun to your head and said you have to go to Amazon or you have to use Google or if you use Facebook. I don't use Facebook. You know, I don't like their politics, but I mean, I have the right to do so. I mean, but think about how many – you know, Bill Gates has made – uh, hundreds of thousands of millionaires with his company. We all buy his products. So why do I don't like the idea of tearing down people who are successful? Uh, I really don't. I think you know the idea should be to make 
poor people rich, not to make rich people poor. And I think sometimes the income redistributionists have that mixed up. Um, we are blessed by the fact that we have some of the great companies. I mean, I'm proud of the fact the five greatest companies in the world today, Apple, Amazon, Facebook, Google and Netflix, or at least five of the, the greatest, are all American companies. I, I don't want them to be German companies. I don't want them to be Chinese country, companies. So I don't think we should tear down successful companies. And you know, my old boss used to say, you know, and this, there's a lot of wisdom to this, that liberals love jobs, but they hate employers. Mm-hmm. Well, you can't have jobs without employers. You're an employer, right? Yeah. You employ people. Yeah. You know, why do we try to denigrate people for being successful? And this idea that people get rich are villains, I think, is really misguided. It's been around before, and we've had we've gone through periods like this. We have. Are, how do you see us? I mean, you're optimistic. I, I, leave us with thoughts on how we get out of the situation we're in, so people are less divisive. What do you, what do you mean by that? Less divisiveness, less ha- more happiness with the reality of what's going on economically. I mean, it's, it feels like we're in sort of a. I think you know. Look, I'm a big ad- I'm a big fan of Donald Trump's. I know him personally. I like him. I always say you know that Donald Trump can be a jerk in public. <laughs> Oftentimes he is, but he's actually in, in, per- in private. He's a very I, I like him a lot personally. He's been very good to me. He's a charming person. I think Trump would be so. If I could give him one piece of advice, it's like he has to understand he's the he's the president of everyone, mm-hmm. right? He's not running – anyway. it's one thing when you're running for president and you're right. appealing to your base. But I don't think he's done a good enough job. And I look, I think he's done a good job as president. But he he has to reach out to everyone as, and, and I don't think he's done that. It's, it's too much us versus them. Mm-hmm. And this polarization – and by the way, Trump is a symptom of the solar polarization. He's not the cause of it, although I think he's he, – in some ways he made a, may have made it worse. I mean I think Obama made it worse. I don't think Obama really unified the country as they should. I, I do think this is the thing that troubles me the most, just the polarization in the country. You know, you go in the cities and it's 80 percent, you know, Hillary Clinton, Obama. You, the further – I noticed this on the campaign. The further you got out of the cities, the higher the Trump vote was. It was almost a linear relationship. That's not a healthy thing. It's not. And you know what I've noticed? People hang out with the people who believe the things that they do. Sure. If you, if you know, I mean, it yeah, used to not be like that. So mm-hmm. I'd go into the newsroom. I worked for a, you know the Wall Street Journal, and I used to go in the newsroom. And they were nice people, and they're incredibly great reporters. And but they were pretty liberal oriented. And, and you know, if I'd gone up to them and said, "You're a bunch of liberals," they would have been insulted by that. They don't think they're liberal because everybody that they hang out with is liberal. <laughs> things right. like they do. Right. And so you know, I'd ask people listen to the show. Hey, if you're a liberal, go out, go and talk to conservatives. You know, listen to them. Don't den- denigrate them. Don't think that they're the scum of the earth. You know that they're deplorables. Listen to what they have to say. Same thing for conservatives. You know, I, I try to, you know, talk to my liberal friends, and you know, there's actually more common ground than you would think. I yeah, really that's think so. that's kind of what I think. When you sit down with people, yeah, and just, I really believe that, and that, that's what's sort of disturbing to me that we can't sort of uh, can't we all get along? Yeah, build <laughs> I think that. there was a famous Los Angeles there person. Was. He was who a very close that. friend of mine and uh, and a patient at one point, and it, he was a dear man. And so, as a doctor, how do you explain this? How do you explain that we become so polarized as a nation? I it, what I have said is that. Trying to understand things, it's hard enough for me to understand one person. To understand the sweep of history is impossible. Yeah. So I've, I'm not in a position to make a comment except to, exer- to ex- observe previous historical sort of sweeps. And I started looking at uh, some of the presidents that I admire mm-hmm. and I admire Teddy Roosevelt mm-hmm. and I know his history pretty well. Mm-hmm. 
Then I started looking at him through the prism of, say, somebody in 1904. And he was a maniac. He was a maniac. And I think I would have disliked him as a president had I been around that time. He was bipolar. He was a malignant narcissist. He was abusive. He was all the things that, wow, surprising I'm hearing about the current president. So I don't know what to make of this. Mm -hmm. I don't know if those features are something that certain periods of history need or if – I don't know what to make of it. I think I would have been unhappy with Teddy Roosevelt if I were alive during the time. Very unhappy. Uh, and yet he's my, one of my very favorite presidents in, in the in the retrospective scope of history. So history mm-hmm. to me is, is something that you can only understand retrospectively. And living in it, uh, I, I don't think I can make sense of it. I do know that we've had a massive narcissistic turn in the general character so. structure of our country. You know, one thing that bothers me is that that poll that came out, very extensive of young people. They are less religious. They are less patriotic and they don't want to have kids uh, right. to the extent that the previous – and I think those are all three right. problematic. And, right. Know. And the less patriotic, they have no exposure to the basic principles of what we're all signing up for here. They're not even exposed to it. Mm-hmm. Uh, the no kids, I, I mean they've been fed a steady diet of the world's coming to an end. Yes, that's true. Which I was a believer in that in 1977. Yep. Uh, I was predicting a new ice age and the end yep. of the world through acid rain and choking the rivers off with algae blooms. And guess what? We got through. That. You know, so this have, is a really crucial point because I know we're running out of time. Yeah. This is – for young people listening to the show, this is the single best time ever to be alive in the history of the planet. Right. Stop with the cataclysmic, oh, the world is coming to an end and so on. The, you know, think of the things that you have access to, the opportunities that exist today, you know, whether you're black, whether you're a woman, whether you're gay. I mean the rights of people today are so much different than they were 50 years ago. This is the single best time to be alive and this is the single best place on earth to be alive. So you have won the lottery of life. So stop feeling sorry for yourself. You have so many opportunities to, to be what what you want to be. That's what makes this country great. So the negativity is what drives me crazy. Right. And the the feeling that, uh, again, because our families have not been healthy for a long time, what happens when the dads are not around is that you start looking, That's a big problem. Well, the society becomes representative of dad and all the people I treat that did not have a dad are very angry with society and the man, which is really dad. And so it's easy to blame the world for whatever is happening to you when if you could – take control over what you do have When I said over. things are getting better, the one thing that has gotten worse and the trend that worries me the most is the increase in single uh, parent households. You need, you know, it's you. You have a strike against you. That's not to say you can't succeed if you don't have a father course, in the home. Of course, but the idea that the government can take the role of a father is a failed experiment. Yeah, and has been failed repeatedly. So, so we've got a lot to deal with. But I'm an optimist too. I, I do believe we'll get out of it. I'm just. Think how. about you know just the technologies. I mean, how things. We started this conversation by talking about fracks. I mean, think about what's going to happen with um, automation, with robotics, with the yeah. coming curing of you know in our lifetime. You know, maybe not our life, probably our lifetime. We're going to see cures for cancer, heart disease, multiple yeah. sclerosis, Parkinson's. We have this all in our grasp, and and it's so exciting. I mean, it, you know, in just the last hundred years, we've expanded life. In the terms of life, by thirty years, we could potentially do that. You know, another thirty years for people who are born today—that's pretty incredible when right. you think about it. One of my favorite TV shows was a show called The Nick about a hospital at the turn of the century, the twentieth century. And uh, the, wait, what's this called? The Nick. The Nick. It was—it's still available on Hulu and Netflix and okay. stuff, but it's really, it's really good. And uh, or maybe Amazon. And 
And in it, this doctor, this surgeon guy gets up in the first episode and he goes, a man today can expect to live to 40 years of age in the United States. And it was like, wow, wow, that's incredible. Um, but yeah, so uh, again, I, I'm interested in solving problems and helping people. And I, I, there's a lot of people still suffering and we got to kind of get that together. And it would not be that hard. It would not be that hard. A lot of states are doing it. A lot of yep. states have I mean, a, a very high uh, quality of life. It's um – you know, I saw the some of the statistics on suicide rates for young people, which is, uh, you know, it's uh, it's problem. I wonder to what extent we've, you know, I I, I rag against the millennials, and I have three I kids that are millennials, too, yeah. and one of the times, my one about a few months ago, my son was finally just so fed up with me ragging up, and he and he turned to me and he said, "Dad, who do you think made us this way?" Right, and I said, "Touche." Yeah, you know? we're the ones who gave them the trophies for just showing up, and uh, that, that. And uh, I was reminded watching Mindhunter. We, our generation, was stead- our their parent, our parents were instead of fed a steady diet of there's a serial killer, they're collecting kids, there's a guy with a van, there's he's giving your kids. Can't. I mean, it was constant in the sixties so and seventies. Living 70s. in fear, and so we then when we became parents, like, well, I'm not letting my kids out of my sight. <laughs> they had me run, you know. It was a lot of overcompensation. Well, this is why I, you know, I have. I think that the climate change um, obsession and with kids from the time they're in kindergarten are like the world is coming down. Look, I'm not diminishing climate change. Yeah, but we, we are going to solve this problem. We will solve this problem. Mankind always solves problems. You mentioned we remember. Remember when the overpopulation that it was going to oh be shoulder to shoulder well, in America? It famine. We're going to have energy famine, famine. And, the, and the great thing about mankind is human ingenuity solves these problems, and we will solve that problem, ladies and gentlemen. The the earth is not going to blow up in a fireball in fifty years. I the can tell Rossi you. Tyson told me that he felt we would be able to actually dial in the temperature we want. The hard part is going to be figure out what the temperature temperature should be. Not getting it, not getting it down. So, well, listen, we, Stephen, I really appreciate it's been you. Been fun being to be here. talking to you. Thank Stephen you so is much. the co-founder of Frax. Check it. Just look it up online. Frax or go to Frax Finance. Frax Finance. Uh, also, get the book Trumponomics Inside the America's American First Plan to Revive Our Economy. Is there going to be a follow-on to that to sort of? Uh, you know, if there's a second term. <laughs> all right. T- t- we shall see. Would there, be, would there be a new plan in the second term or just more of the same? Well, you know, stay tuned, my friend. Ooh, oh, really? So, <laughs> I, I would tell you, but I'd have to kill you. And so, so <laughs> well, this is interesting. Thing. So when the campaign gets going, we're going to hear some new economics, uh, economic um, ideas? I think, you know, you're going to see some new ideas uh, in the campaign because you never want to just rest on your laurels. You always want to be moving forward. So. I like the idea of, like, for just one example. I mean, let's give every school kid, you know, a, a voucher. They can go to any co- any school they want to. Give them fifteen thousand dollars, and if they, no kid has to go to a failing school. Interesting. And I, and I uh, when I met with the domestic policy people, there was a. You mean at the White House? Or? Yeah. Who'd you meet with? Uh, Brooke and. Oh, Brooke's a good and, friend of mine and, from Texas. And, and do you meet with Jared? Uh, is he a tall? Is he? Well, Jared is right. You know, Jared. Uh, is, oh, Jared Kushner. No, yeah. no, it was. Um, Oh shoot! I know, I know that, but Brooke is but, great. But, but it was, but it, there was somebody. Uh, oh, he's a. He's a <laughs> I can't remember his last name now. I'm driving me crazy. Any event, uh, it, but in there, what I wanted to tell you was there was a group of people. Would, did you meet uh, over at the White House? Or? Yeah. Oh, yeah. that's fun. Yeah, and, I go and in there was somebody from the Economic Advisors. And I'm wondering if you know this guy, big tall guy. Oh, the, was uh, this recent or uh, a couple weeks ago? Oh yeah. yeah, the new chairman of the uh, Council of Economic Advisors. Okay, and he he. <laughs> He tangled with me. He was a very, very smart guy. And he was like, what policies do I have access to to change this thing? And we started talking about releasing Medicaid funds to uh, take care of custodial care 
for chronic I like that idea. Yeah. I like that and idea. And I said a lot. that would change everything. Yeah, because then that, you don't have to institutionalize it's people. Been the, you can. Well, you can, but you'll have the resources to yeah. do a lot of things. And right. that's been a point of contention for 50 years. Yeah, I like and, that idea. Yeah, so it's, again, they're thinking about doing stuff. So. Listen, sir, thank you to have you uh, at Stephen Moore at P-H-E-N uh, as, and uh, website frax.finance, Trumponomics, uh, frax. frax. We got everything. All, all all right. Right. Thank you, everybody. Thank See you, you next time. Bye. For calling times and topics, follow the show on Twitter at Dr. Drew Podcast. That's D-R-D-R-E-W Podcast. The music from today's episode can be found on the swinging sounds of the Dr. Drew Podcast, now available on iTunes. And while you're there, don't forget to rate the show. The Dr. Drew Podcast is a Corolla Digital production and is produced by Chris Loxamana and Gary Smith. For more information, go to drdrew.com. All conversation and information exchanged during the participation in the Dr. Drew Podcast is intended for educational and entertainment purposes only. Do not confuse this with treatment or medical advice or direction. Nothing on these podcasts supplement or supersede the relationship and direction of your medical caretakers. Although Dr. Drew is a licensed physician with specialty board certifications by the American Board of Internal Medicine and the American Board of Addiction Medicine, he is not functioning as a physician in this environment. The same applies to any professionals who may appear on the podcast or drdrew.com.